Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacraments, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshipped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Amen. Please be seated. When Amanda became pregnant with our first child, we were encouraged to get a doula. Y'all know what a doula is? She was amazing. When we didn't know what we were doing, she knew a lot. When we were nervous, she was this non-anxious presence. When we were scared, she inspired confidence. She came alongside us and helped us bring life into the world. This life, right here, into the world. And this is what Paul is doing as he reaches out and writes to, Tim, to Titus. He's coming alongside Titus and helping him bring gospel life to the island of Crete. And so as we look at God's word for us this morning, let's open uh, our Bibles to Titus chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In your blue Bibles, this is on page 998. Paul is no longer a Pharisee, but a follower of Jesus. He's turned down flowing robes and the praises of men and taken up the sacrificial service of promoting Christ. And so Paul begins with his identity. He begins with who he is. Look at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. The Greek word for servant is doulos. And an apostle is one sent with a message. So right here, Paul is sharing how his identity in Christ leads to his purpose in Christ. This is Paul's statement of purpose. Paul comes alongside to serve and support the message of the gospel. This is what Paul does. This is what Titus is to do. And it's what we all need someone to do for us. And at some level or another, it's what we're all called to do for someone else. To be gospel doulas. Paul here describes how gospel life is born and brought into the world and how gospel community grows and multiplies. We become gospel 
doulas. That's who we are in Christ and part of our role as disciples of Christ. We are recreated and called and commissioned to further the faith of God's people and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life. Now, that's kind of a mouthful. And honestly, uh, it feels a bit overwhelming. It's also tempting to disregard it as something for somebody else. But this is how we have life in Christ. This is how we impart life in Christ to one another. This is how we bring those to Christ and his light and life for them. These here are the characteristics of gospel life. And they're the essentials for all of us. They are the essential aspects for how we are to love and serve one another. How we're to be loved and served with gospel life and how we are to carry that deposit of the gospel and love and serve one another's with it. So as we open up God's word, I just want to invite you in the quiet of your own heart to ask, Lord, help me hear, mark, learn, and inwardly digest your word that I may ever hold fast and hold out to others the blessed hope of eternal life. All right, let's go. Look at verses one and two. Here are the essentials of gospel life for us, for one another, for those who are not yet here. First, the gospel furthers faith in Christ. I find this particularly comforting because I get stuck in my faith. We all get stuck in our relationship with God. At some time or another, uh, we, we feel kind of static or plateaued. And we all experience a desire to get unstuck, to know God better, to grow in our relationship with Christ. But how do we do that? How do we get unstuck and encounter Jesus in a real and a meaningful way? When I was ordained 22 years and one week ago, a friend of mine gave me a letter opener. Remember those? Uh, with the inscription, Romans 10, 17. Faith comes from hearing the message. Now, there's a lot of ways that we try and grow in our faith. But faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. And what my friend was reminding me is this, 
This is how you continue to grow in your faith. And this is how you continue to help others grow in their faith. We meet with Jesus. We grow in our trust of Jesus through the word about Jesus, the message about Jesus. This is how we need a gospel in our lives. Somebody that will come alongside us and serve us in the message of Jesus. Someone who will speak up and speak out about the difference that, they, that he has made in their life that can be helpful and comforting and encouraging in our lives. This is how we become a gospel doula to somebody else. When we open up the word and help them see Jesus and encounter Jesus, and when we open up our lives and open up our hearts and share our story of the difference that Jesus has made for us, that brings them encouragement and comfort in their situation. What Paul is getting at, what I think is so helpful to us today is that faith is not furthered by more activity. Faith is furthered by hearing and responding to the gospel. So our gospel life, our gospel community life entails the constant calibration from busyness to abiding from adding more stuff to being more with Jesus, abiding in Christ in and through his word. What does that look like for you? It's the gospel that furthers our faith in Christ. Paul goes on, he says, it's the gospel that furthers our knowledge of the truth. Since Jesus is the truth, growing in the knowledge of the truth means growing in the knowledge of Jesus. Not just knowledge about Jesus, but actually knowing Jesus. And when it comes to our relationship with him, when it comes to truly knowing him, some of us connect with him first with our mind, and some of us connect first with our heart. Do you know which one you are? Do you, do, you, do you lead with your mind or do you lead with your heart? Those who lead with their mind come to a moment where they, uh, all they know about God tends to drop 16 inches from their head to the heart and catalyzes their faith and their relationship with Christ. Some of y'all lead with your mind. It's a beautiful mind. Uh, those who lead with their heart tend to come to a moment when how they feel about God flows up, bubbles up, and becomes understood or intelligible, more comprehensive. And the point is not that the head is more important than the heart or the heart is more important than the head, but that we know 
and love the Lord with all of our mind and all of our heart. That's how our faith and our knowledge of Jesus is furthered. And this is so important for our spiritual growth. We can't leave our head or our heart behind. God's given us a new heart and the mind of Christ that it may all, that we may all be totally surrendered to him. Why is this important for us growing in faith and knowing Jesus more and more? Because head faith without heart faith leads to legalism and condescension. And hard faith without head faith leads to error and illegitimacy. So merely an intellectual relationship with Jesus over time is going to become impersonal and stale. And merely an emotional relationship with Jesus over time is going to become confusing and reckless. And so the goal of growing in faith and knowing Jesus more and more entails both our mind and our heart, our intellectual curiosity and our emotional expression. And I love that here. Our gospel life together as a gospel community, we can raise our hand and clap and worship and let our emotions be genuine and real and sincere before the throne of God. We see that throughout the scriptures. That's actually normal. And we can also be quiet and reflective and read and learn and try and comprehend and understand so we know how that works and applies for us. And that's natural and normal. So do you lead with your head or do you lead with your heart? Maybe ask the Lord this question this week. Journal around this. What would help you move toward a more balanced faith and knowledge of Christ this week? Where do you need to grow? Where do you need to surrender? What do you ask God to do in your heart or in your mind? So the gospel furthers faith in Christ. The gospel furthers a knowledge of the truth of Christ. Paul goes on and says, the gospel also leads to godliness. Because Jesus is God, and we are being conformed to his image and likeness, the gospel transforms us. The gospel leads us to become more like him. Have you ever thought about that? If you're created in the image and likeness of God and Jesus is the perfect image and exact likeness of God, who are you recreated to be like? Jesus. Faith in Jesus and knowledge of his truth produces Christ-likeness in our lives. And that means that gospel life isn't simply about believing the right things. The gospel transforms our lives 
It transforms the way that we think, the way that we speak, the way that we listen, the way that we relate to one another. Gospel life produces gospel fruit. The fruit of Christ's presence in our lives. The Spirit of God is at work in our lives, conforming us to the image and likeness of Christ so that we might display Christ with every aspect of our character, with every aspect of our lives. That means that the people of Christ are a people of love. We're a people of great joy. We're a people who carry the shalom of God to one another and to all those around us. When people are anxious, we are a a people of patience. We're people of, of kindness in a world that seems to be mean-spirited. We're people of of goodness when it seems so many people are out for their own good, we consider the good of others before ourselves. We're people of faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is Christ in us. We don't just come to Jesus His invitation is to come to him, to follow him, to imitate him, to be like him and do what he does. We take on his life and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we display his life from our lives. Faith in Jesus, furthered by a knowledge of Jesus, bears fruit for Jesus. So pick a fruit any fruit, and ask the Holy Spirit to show you how it's an expression of Christ's life in you. And ask him to grow it this week and to show it through you this week. And when that happens, it it feels really good because when that happens, that's the real you. That's the you that Christ created and redeemed you to be. And so you're most fully alive when you're completely surrendered to Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit bearing the fruit of his presence in your life. And you know why else it feels really good? Because that's actually what's helpful to everybody around you. When you're the real you in Christ, you're you're helpful to others because It's Christ in you serving them through you. That's a good thing. So Paul is helping us understand these essentials, these foundations of gospel life. The gospel furthers faith in Christ, furthers our knowledge of the truth of Christ, and the gospel leads to godliness. Look at verses two and three. Paul says that faith 
knowledge, and godliness are related to eternal life. Faith, knowledge, and godliness are in the hope of eternal life, or more literally, set upon the hope of eternal life. This is Paul's crescendo, and it's extremely important not to miss. Okay, listen here, get this. Faith, knowledge, and godliness do not produce eternal life. Eternal life, given by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, produces faith, knowledge, and leads to godliness. And that's why we have hope. Because eternal life doesn't depend on us. It depends on God. If eternal life depended on us having more faith or greater knowledge or being better, having better behavior, we'd all be hopeless. And so Paul is emphasizing that our life in Christ is dependent upon God and that our life in Christ moves us to desire greater faith and to know Christ more and to be more like him. But he's not done yet. He doubles down here. Look at verse three. How do we know? How can we trust that? How can we depend on the eternal life that God gives us. Paul says the assurance of eternal life doesn't rest on us. The assurance of eternal life rests on three things. The promise of God, the character of God, and the work of God in our lives. Now, I'm about to nerd out because I think this is really cool. First, the promise of eternal life, God's promise of eternal life begins before the beginning of time. Do you see that? God promises eternal life before the beginning of time. And what that means is that salvation is a part of God's eternal purpose for his people. Not just something that happened this month or this year or when you were 18. This is so amazing. You know what this means? It means God thought of you before the foundations of the world. And the thought of you made him smile, made him happy. So he created you in his image and likeness. And when sin separated the relationship, Christ died to reconcile it on your behalf for your sake. Therefore, you are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And 
the Father loves you with the same love he has for his son. That's who we are. That didn't just happen yesterday. That was a part of God's plan forever past and will be a part of his plan forever forward. And when we realize that God's love for us originates in eternity past and never ends, it moves us to love. It moves us to love him because he first loved us. And it moves us to love one another as he loves us. Love inspires love. Not out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of gratitude and thanksgiving. So I want to encourage you, if you're feeling deprived of God's love, if you're feeling a depletion of God's love in your life, in your marriage, in your parenting, go to a prayer and healing team this morning. And at communion, just, just let them invite the Holy Spirit to bring the fullness of the first fruit of Christ's presence in your life, love to well up and overflow from your life. God promises eternal life before the beginning of time. Second, Paul says God does not lie. This is an important characteristic of God. God does not lie. God tells the truth. God only tells the truth. And this is important for the people in Crete because Crete has a reputation. The rest of the known world knows them to be notorious liars, all of them. Their infamy as a culture is so vast that in 21st century San Antonio, Texas, we know that a Cretan is a derogatory term for somebody of low moral character, an untrustworthy liar. And because they're notorious, backstabbing, manipulative liars, the people of Crete have trust issues. In a cultural dynamic where everybody is lying to get their way, where everybody is manipulating to advance themselves, Paul's reminding Titus to assure the Cretans that God is not like that. He's not like them. God is trustworthy because he only speaks the truth. The fall happens because of a lie. And in Christ, you are no longer a people of the lie. In Christ, you are a people of the truth. Just as Christ came full of grace and truth, in Christ, you are full of grace and truth. God is trustworthy because God can only speak the truth. So his promise of eternal life in Christ is dependable because he is dependable. It's reliable because he is reliable. 
Y'all, this is important in our culture today. In a day when politicians are flaky, news outlets are unreliable, and apparently not everything on the internet is true. Even in the church, we can accommodate the message for selfish gain, for selfish purposes, for self-advances. But God is not like that. God does not. God and his word are always trustworthy, always reliable, because they are always true. Finally, Paul says that we can have assurance of eternal life in Christ because God conveys this promise of eternal life. God imparts eternal life through the preaching of the gospel, through the message of the gospel. Y'all, Christ appears in our family. Christ appears in our friendships. Christ appears in our neighborhoods. Christ appears in the courtyard at school. Christ appears in the conference rooms at the places where we work whenever we speak about his life and death and resurrection and all that it means to us. Jesus says that the gospel is like a seed. And when it falls on good soil, it produces life. Peter says, this is how we are reborn. We are born again. We are spiritually born. We have spiritual life, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Not, not just from the pulpit, but in our homes, in the car, wherever we go, whomever we're with, God conveys and imparts eternal life through our willingness simply to talk, to speak up about who Jesus is and what he has done and is doing in our lives. That's pretty cool. And this is God's threefold guarantee of the reliability of eternal life. God's promise, his trustworthy character to fulfill his promise, and the inherent power of the gospel. They combine to guarantee us the sure and certain hope of eternal life. It doesn't rest on us. Our hope rests on Jesus. We all need a gospel doula. And God has called all of us in one way or another to serve as a gospel doula for somebody else.
And these are the essential foundations of that gospel life. It's because we have been given eternal life in Christ that we want to grow in faith and in the knowledge of the truth that leads to Christ-likeness. It is our grateful response to desire and to have the ability to grow in gospel life and to grow as a gospel community. And we grow in faith by hearing the message of Christ. We grow in a knowledge of the truth of Jesus by engaging him in a relationship with him with all of our mind and with all of our heart. And faith in Christ and a knowledge of Christ leads to becoming like Christ. This is the gospel. This is gospel life. This is what we hold on to and hold out for others. It's the foundation of gospel life and our collective commitment to be a gospel community. So as you come to the table this morning, I want to invite you to ask Jesus. Jesus, in what ways would you like to further my faith and knowledge and godliness that rests on the hope of my life in you and your life in me. Jesus, who could I ask to be my gospel doula? Jesus, in what relationship are you sending me to serve as a gospel doula for somebody else, to further somebody else's faith and knowledge and godliness and their hope of eternal life. So as we come to Jesus through the bread and the wine, as we encounter him together in Holy Communion, I want to end the same way that I began with this prayer for us. Almighty God, whose Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is the light of the world, grant that your people, illumined by your word and sacrament, may shine with the radiance of Christ's glory, that he may be known, worshiped, and obeyed to the ends of the earth. Amen.